0: Purging the Police. In 1919, the British state rigorously enforced the role of the police, shaping the police force we have now, an obedient enforcer of the system's interests. In 1918, British police had taken strike action, and the government, keen to avoid distraction from its war effort, met all their demands except one recognition of their trade union, the National Union of Police and Prison Officers, NUPPO. Lloyd George led the police to believe that recognition would be a formality after the war, but 1919 began with the issue still not settled. Home Secretary Edward Short set up the Desborough Committee to look into police pay, conditions, and recruitment. The government pursued a cynical but effective strategy, boosting police pay and conditions while clamping down on their union. It tried to buy them off, and, with a few exceptions, it succeeded. In the summer, Desborough's report brought a wage hike free housing and early retirement. It also set up an alternative body to the Police's Trade Union, a tame, consultative association that became the Police Federation, which still substitutes for a real union today. The NUPPO called a strike for the 1st of August, but its members largely ignored the call. The best turnout was in Liverpool, where half the force refused to work. Rioting and looting began, and the government sent in troops and warships. The force sacked every striker, and a new police act bans police striking or joining a union. Met Police Commissioner Neville McCready welcomed the force being purged of these discontented elements. The union tried to fight a rearguard action and won Labour movement sympathy, but no sex striker was ever reinstated. Working Women's Rights 1918 had ended with British women voting in a general election for the first time, but only those aged 30 or over and who had property could vote. The first woman MP was elected, but the successful candidate, Constance Marchpitch, refused to sit in the British Parliament that she and her Sinn Féin colleagues did not accept as legitimate. Instead, she became a minister in the Dáil Éireann, the first female cabinet minister in Europe. In March 1919, the Labour Party introduced the Women's Emancipation Bill to allow women equal voting rights and to hold civil and judicial appointments. It passed through the House of Commons, but the House of Lords blocked it. The battle for equal votes for women continued internationally as well. On the 17th of February, the Inter-Allied Conference of Women's Suffrage Societies met. In 1918, the US House of Representatives had agreed to votes for women, but the Senate blocked it. Women kept on fighting. In February 1919, those arrested on a suffrage protest began a hunger strike. On the 4th of March, police and soldiers attacked suffrage demonstrators outside the New York Metropolitan Opera House. Exactly three months later, the US Senate finally passed the 19th Amendment, giving women the right to vote. Starting with Wisconsin, Illinois, and Michigan six days later, state after state ratified this. 1919 saw women win the vote in several other countries too, including Sweden, Luxembourg, and the Netherlands. They lagged behind Russia, which had given votes to women straight after the revolution in 1917. Russian women marked International Women's Day 1919 with the slogan, All to the Red Front. In Britain, working women still face poverty, low pay and poor working conditions, as well as voting inequality. On the 15th of February, trade unionists launched a working women's charter at a mass meeting at the Albert Hall. Two days prior to this, an explosion of gun cotton had killed five women workers at Edmonton Munition Works. Many women had entered factories to carry out war work such as this, and to replace men who were away at the front. But with August's restoration of Pre-War Practices Act providing for returning servicemen to get their old jobs back, many now faced unemployment. Employers tried to exploit this, but while some trade unionists prioritised men's interests, others fought for equality. On the 16th of November, London members of the Packing Case Makers Union asked their executive to ballot them for strikes, when the employers broke an agreement to pay women the same as men. In New England, USA, on the 15th of April, women telephone company operators began a strike for better wages, and the next day the men employed by the telephone company walked out in solidarity with them. After five days, the strike won. Discrimination against married women continued. Future Prime Minister Stanley Baldwin told Parliament that a married woman could not be a permanent civil servant as this was incompatible with her domestic duties. Women also campaigned against social injustice. In October, the Women's Freedom League marched to Holloway Prison to demand the release of Elsie Smith, unjustly imprisoned following the death of her child. In November, Britain had its first woman sitting MP, as Tory unionist Nancy Astor won a by-election for the Plymouth Sutton seat vacated by her husband. Two days before Christmas, Parliament passed the Sex Disqualification Removal Act, falling well short of full equality for women, but allowing women to enter the secular professions. The year ended with Lincoln's Inn in London admitting its first female bar student and the swearing-in of Ada Summers, Britain's first woman justice of the peace. Throwing off the shackles of empire. After Britain and its allies had won the war, proclaiming themselves champions of freedom and democracy, the people of its imperial possessions stepped up their democratic demand for some of that freedom for themselves. India. Britain imposed the Rowlatt Act on India, extending wartime power of detention without trial, prompting anger against both the act and British rule. The British left supported self-determination for India and other colonies, and in April held a large public meeting in London demanding India for the Indians. Sunday, the 13th of April, 1919 saw that one of the most despicable episodes in the British Empire's bloody history. Thousands of people gathered in the Jallianwala Bagh in Amritsar in the Punjab, celebrating the Sikh festival Baisakhi and protesting for their rights. British Colonel Reginald Dyer took troops to the garden where they assembled, blocked the entrance and gave orders to fire at the unarmed crowd for 10 minutes. They killed 379 people and injured more than 1,200. Dyer became a hero of British imperialists, but Indians were outraged. Protests continued. The All India Congress Committee cabled Lloyd George, alerting him to the intense gravity of the situation, as if the Prime Minister were a benign patriarch, who might save them if he only knew the issues. Indian workers also fought back. 22 strikes took place during 1919. By the end of the year, Britain knew that it had to make some concessions. It passed the Government of India Act giving limited involvement of Indians in the government of their country. Britain still held authoritarian power. Afghanistan The British in India wanted Afghanistan to be a buffer between it and Russia. The country was technically independent, but in an 1879 treaty had accepted that it would, quote, have no windows looking on the outside world, except towards India, end quote. On the 3rd of May 1919, Afghan troops crossed the Khyber Pass and captured the Indian town of Bagh. Three days later, the British Indian government declared war on Afghanistan. Over three months of fighting, Britain repelled the Afghan invasion. But Afghanistan had consolidated its position, and on the 8th of August, the Treaty of Rawalpindi saw Britain recognise Afghanistan's full independence. Ireland. In 1919, there were two states in Ireland. There was the British state with the armed police, occupying army, the Royal Irish Constabulary and Orange Support in the Northeast. There was also a state coming into being at the call of Doyle Erin. The Doyle was formed on the twenty first of January by the Sinn Fein MPs elected in the nineteen eighteen general election, who now became Chapter Dala TDs. It adopted a Declaration of Independence and went on to set up its own police and courts. Britain refused to withdraw and conflict escalated, starting with the shooting of two policemen by nationalist volunteers at Solahedweg early in 1919. On the 3rd of February, Eamon de Valera escaped from Lincoln Jail. In April, the Doyle elected him president and he appointed a cabinet, including Constance Markovic, as Minister of Labour. On the 10th of April, counties Cork, Kerry, Limerick, Roscommon and Tipperary were declared as being in a state of disturbance. In late August, armed Nationalist Volunteers began using the oath and the name Irish Republican Army. The British government ended the year with a bill proposing two parliaments in Ireland, one for the six counties of Northeast Ulster and one for the other 26. The scene was set for a bloody civil war and the partition of Ireland. Malta. Britain owns Malta, valuing its strategic military location as a Mediterranean island but the Maltese population was unhappy, particularly at the post-war rise in the cost of living and the sacking of hundreds of dockyard workers. On the 25th of February, Malta's National Assembly called for Malta to have national rights under the Versailles Treaty. In May, students began protests against British rule. On the 7th of June, police attacked a protest, killing four and injuring many protesters and giving the revolt its name of Setejinyu. Egypt in March 1919 Britain arrested Egyptian nationalist leader Saad Salul Pasha and exiled him to Malta. Zallou's waft organization had no links with the working class but workers responded to his arrest by intensifying strikes. Cairo tram workers struck from the 13th of March to the 15th of April winning some of their demands. From the 15th of March they were joined by railway depot workers and print workers in Bulak and then by rail port lighthouse post office customs tram and government workers in alexandria the british government killed 10 workers under pressure of both workers' action and anti-colonial protests and riots britain allowed saolong to return from exile on the 7th of april by the 25th of july 800 had died in the uprising over the summer there were strikes by gas barbershop sugar cafe and port workers the government formed a labour conciliation board in august but this failed to stop workers fighting back. Over the next three months, there were 24 major strikes. During the year, a group of intellectuals agreed to set up a socialist party. By September, though, they were convinced that conditions in Egypt were not ripe for socialism, and instead called their group the Democratic Party. United States of America From the start of the century, the USA had chosen to act as a police officer for Central America. On the 11th of September 1919, it sent troops into Honduras. On the 6th of October, Haitian rebels known as CACOs attacked the capital Port-au-Prince as part of their war against American occupation. Japan Having sided with Britain and its allies, Japan hoped to gain some of the defeated powers' territories, but it faced rebellions, two of which became known by the date on which they started, the 1st of March movement in Korea and the 4th of May movement in China. End of the Ottoman Empire Defeated in the war, the Ottoman Empire, based in Istanbul, was at an end. Field Marshal Mustafa Kemal Ataturk led a movement to stop the Allies breaking up Turkey. On the 19th of May, he landed at Samsun, starting the Turkish War of Independence. A month later, he declared the Turkish Nationalist Congress. Sandwiched between the Ottoman and Russian empires, Armenia had endured a lot during the war and in 1916 suffered an appalling genocide at the hands of the Ottomans, who killed over a million Armenians. On the 28th of May 1919, Armenia declared independence, but a week later, nearly 700 of its civilians were killed by Azerbaijani soldiers and others in the three-day kaibala massacre. Divided by Racism While workers were angry and willing to fight, too often their anger was aimed at fellow workers of a different colour rather than at the employers and authorities responsible for their exploitation and poverty. Sometimes this occurred in the absence of socialist political leadership, but on occasion the labour movement misleadership played a poisonous role. On the 23rd of January, union leader Emmanuel Shinwell told a 600-strong seafarers meeting in Glasgow that the unemployment they faced was caused by Chinese soldiers joining British ships. White sailors, fired up by a speech went out and attacked black workers, starting what became known as the Harbour Riot. On the 15th of April, white men attacked Arab men for consorting with white women in Cable Street, East London. Then, in May, the East End was hit with a four-day riot as 5,000 white men attacked lodging houses with black seamen inside. In June, race riots took place in Liverpool, Newport and Cardiff, mostly started by white men attacking black men, often using weapons, some resulting in killings. The two most common pretexts for whites attacking blacks were objections to black men socialising with white women and the allegation that immigrants were undermining British workers' jobs and wages. While the former is now universally condemned as both sexist and racist, the latter view is still widely held, sadly including by sections of the labour movement and the left. Just as it was a century ago, this attitude is both false and divisive. 1919 was the year in which the anti-Semitic forgery, The Protocols of the Learned Elders of Zion, was published in English. At the end of October, the Philadelphia Public Ledger published the Red Bible, a version of the Protocols with Jews replaced by Bolsheviks. America's Red Summer In the USA, months of racist violence in many towns and cities in 1919 became known as Red Summer, named after the blood spilled. The most serious was the week-long Chicago race riot, deliberately provoked by employers sending blacktop whites to burn down white stockyard workers' houses. By the 3rd of August, 23 blacks and 15 whites were dead. While at least some in the labour movement tried to unite black and white workers, the employers and authorities were keen to sow division. Earlier in July in Chicago, stockyards' Labour Council called a parade to celebrate a victory against the meatpacking bosses, but the police banned the United Black-White Parade and insisted that black and white workers parade separately.